This episode is brought to you by Get Mobile ID by Get Group North America, the smart choice for ID implementations. Put citizens in control with Get Mobile ID, fully ISO compliant 18013-5, and surpasses AMVA guidelines. Learn more at getgroupna.com. Welcome to AmbaCast, bringing news, information, and expertise to the Amba community. Here's your host, Ian Grossman. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the AmbaCast, everyone. This week, we are talking about a new product, a new best practice that Amba has just released, the dyed fuel fraud best practice. And with me to talk about it and educate you about it a bit, I have Len McLaughlin from the Washington State Patrol, who is a member of the working group, and Paul Steyer from the Amba team, who helped support the group through the development of the best practice. Gentlemen, welcome to the AmbaCast. Welcome. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. So uh, it's a recent publication that's uh, literally hot off the presses. We don't really have presses anymore, but it's, you know, I don't know. We have to have an equivalent of hot off the presses when something's loaded to the website. Um, This is a very specific best practice in a very specific area. Let's take a step back, and maybe, Paul, you were there, I think, in the earlier conversations between the working group was even created when maybe Len came on. Yes. why this idea? And I don't mean that to be incredulous. I mean, yeah. you know, this is a very specific topic. So how does, this, how does this hit the radar? And, and actually brought up by a former Washington State Patrol captain, Tom Foster, mm. who AMBA has since hired <laughs> uh, at one of our law enforcement standing committees. It goes to show you uh, the input that our members can have. Tom raised his hand and said, you know, our, our jurisdictions are losing millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars in road tax money because of dyed diesel fraud. And, and Tom went on and explained how, you know, we have dyed fuel and how so many jurisdictions just don't really do a lot of proactive enforcement to, to stop this misuse. And, and uh, we brought that to the larger Amber community to mm-hmm. say, there's nothing out there. You know, other associations, there's no other type of publication out about best practice. And that's really how it started. And, uh, and, and we just we moved forward with the uh, present, pr- presentation to the board. Mm-hmm and uh, we're, who were very supportive of the idea. And uh, we went from there, and we got Len on as the chair and uh, built our, our uh, membership. So I have no doubt there are folks listening and going, dyed fuel, what the heck is that? So Len, give us the, the 101. Before we even talk about fraud and prevention, this phrase, I know when it came up a few years ago, and I'm like, okay, that's a new one for me. What is dyed fuel? Uh, dyed diesel is regular highway fuel that actually has a red dye to it. And that way, it distinguishes it between taxed and untaxed. So if a fuel is dyed and it's a red dye, it almost looks like cherry Kool-Aid for those of you mm. who haven't seen it. That means the fuel is is untaxed for road tax purposes. Mm-hmm. On purpose. I mean, that's the, right. that's yes, the concept. Yes, it's done on purpose to distinguish it from legal fuel that's meant to be used in licensed vehicles on the highways to vehicles that are generally not used on the highways, farm equipment, bulldozers, or things that are exempt from paying federal and state highway taxes. So I want to try to, we're going to dumb, well, dumb this down is a, is a wrong yeah. phrase, but I want to really simplify it because I know I needed this, I needed it dumbed down for me when I first learned it. Yeah. The general car population, you go, you go to the pump, you buy your fuel, you're not really paying the tax, it's paid at the rack, but that's another podcast for another yes, day, yes, right? You right. know, the, the tax is built into to the price. Um, then you've got diesel fuel that large trucks and buses are rolling in and buying, and they're paying 
the tax that's built into the rate at the pump. Right. And then there's this third group of vehicles that are exempt from paying fuel tax under federal and state laws. And because they're exempt, the way they have access to it is to use this specially dyed fuel. Is that – am I close to a good summary here? Right. You're, you're close <laughs> to it. They'll, they have a uh, – basically the, the dyed diesels, we keep referring to it as, yeah. is generally for, as we said, vehicles that aren't – Mainly operated on the road, you know, bulldozers, off-road okay. equipment. So all your construction equipment. equipment you know, construction equipment, yes. Farm, the whole agriculture, agriculture. industry yeah. is certain exempt. Farm, certain farm equipment can use it, depending on your jurisdiction and okay. how they have it licensed and, and what it's used for. And where do they go to get that dyed fuel? That depends on the jurisdiction. Okay. Uh, a lot of places, you can go to a car lock, uh, I'll just use an example, Cenex, uh, Pacific Prides, uh, CFNs, they'll have a separate pump, and it's actually labeled di-diesel. It's required to be labeled oh. a certain way. It has to have federal, uh, certain markings on it. It has yeah. to say di-diesel. Uh, there's also some IRS requirements. It has to say for off-use only, legal use taxed. And so you need to have... Um Certain paperwork, certain certifications to be able to go in and get that fuel, theoretically? Again, uh, that one is by jurisdictions. Okay. Some jurisdictions, you have to be permitted to buy it and go through uh, different paperwork to be able to purchase it. Yeah. Other jurisdictions, like in the state of Washington, mm -hmm. any fuel station can sell it as long as the pump's marked. And who is, in that sense, then, if any fuel station can sell it, Whose responsibility is it to make sure only those that are exempt are accessing that fuel? Is that the, the fuel provider or is the onus on the operator to not abuse the system? At that point, again, you'd have to go by jurisdiction. Sure. Each jurisdiction has its own laws. But in generally, it's the as long as the, the station has done what they're required to, the pumps are marked properly. Mm -hmm. If the pumps are marked properly... Or if it's a pump or a station where they have to uh, a state where they have to fill out paperwork to mm -hmm. buy it, to purchase it, then it would be on the person who's grabbing the fuel. Ah, and thus the fraud, I would there suppose that you see the trends are where people that aren't <clears throat> properly exempt are rolling up to the pumps with the the dyed fuel. It's, Is that it's the it's the honor system? Okay, yeah, that's right. And sometimes, as we know, the honor system doesn't always work well, and so and it's it's a substantial amount. You know, you think over sixty cents a gallon that the taxes and so do the math on a on a big uh, you know big semi uh, you know things you're talking about lots of dollars that can be evaded yeah so when you started to look at the scope of this challenge in, in the working group and you started to define what is the type of fraud that's happening in in this space what did you what did the working group discover in terms of i mean i know i have oversimplified it by saying someone who's not exempt is rolling up and grabbing the pump they shouldn't but as with all cases related to fraud and fraud mitigation, I'm sure it's a lot more complicated than that. It is, Ian. You know, a lot of it is, first of all, is intent, you know, and that's why that's why Lynn talked about proper markings because it can happen. I mean, somebody can un unknowingly pull up mm. and say, there's diesel, I'll fill it up. So you have that issue. Um, but but those, uh, when, we, when we talked about, you know, what are really the main issues when it comes to enforcement of it? You know, things like, first of all, what laws does your jurisdiction even have to grant authority? Because we know IRS has been active across the nation with mm -hmm. enforcement, but um, some jurisdictions are more active than others. Some actually, like Washington State, actually have a specific unit 
dedicated to that. Some really don't. And so we really, first of all, looked at what laws are there because um, jurisdictions that don't have any kind of a diesel, uh, di-diesel enforcement unit, first of all, you need to have authority, right? Mm-hmm. You need to have authority mm-hmm. to even be able to, to have uh, the ability to stop vehicles. And then when you stop the vehicle, what authority do you have to dip the tank? And Len can probably talk a little bit about, you know, there's some nuances with that. You can't just randomly stop trucks and say, I'm going to dip your tank. Yeah. Right, Len? Yeah, so, let's start, so now you're talking like the on-the-road enforcement yes. part of this. Exactly. So what, is, what does that look like? At least, you know, whether it's Washington as an example or what you've learned through the working group um, in terms of what, what's been generally seen right. as on-the-road enforcement. Each jurisdiction has its own set of laws they operate under in yeah. terms of being able to sample the, the tanks. So, generally, if a vehicle stopped, and depending on the jurisdiction, they may give them a, a document which lists the regulations mm-hmm. and that, that jurisdiction's particular laws that say, here's how we can enforce it, here's the penalties, here's how, what we operate under. And then here's the penalties if you refuse to allow inspection. Mm-hmm. And at that point, they may ask the driver, you let us dip the tank. And mm-hmm. if the driver refuses, then they'd be falling under whatever the refusal is on that jurisdiction. There may mm-hmm. be a $1,000 penalty, which is, uh, I believe, the same as the IRS, $1,000 penalty for refusal. Uh, the penalties can range from $1,000 minimum to $10 a gallon for the capacity of the tank. For refusal or for getting caught? For getting caught. Okay. So, and the refusal so, penalties didn't sound that high. So it's a calculated, calculated gamble, perhaps. Gamble. Right. It, again, like I said, um, it just depends on the jurisdictions. Right. Some, some jurisdictions are basically the same as the, if you're caught with it. Right. Maybe a $1,000 uh, penalty to refuse or a $1,000 penalty if, if you're caught with it. And is that an area in the best practice that, you know, we go into with any recommendations around that? that part we, of it we do um, Ian because there's there's such a two distinctive areas you have the administrative action so the civil side and in, in Washington we were very fortunate we had we had from Washington we had the state patrol Len, and then we also had a department of licensing mm. person who takes care of the administrative side of this as well because there's you know those that refuse there's civil action that can be taken plus they also have the potential for criminal action so it's it's really um, it, it can become a very uh, high amount of fines when you look at the civil and the criminal both uh, that that person faces. And you know the other the other thing about this that we we dealt into quite a, a bit is just the evidence, just handling. You know n- now that mm. you you make the stop right and you mm-hmm. and you dip the tank and now you've got this evidence. You know, what do you do with yeah. it? Yeah. So I want to stop there because <clears> you both <throat> use the phrase and I don't think it's one that people outside of the niche would know. Mm-hmm. Dip the tank. Oh yeah. Tell me about the dip the tank <laughs> process. The easiest way to describe this is if you remember when you were kids playing with the, the Slurpee or your Coke, and yeah. you take the straw and you put your thumb over the end of it and pick up the, yeah. the Coke. Uh, you do that basically with a, a big, long straw, uh, and you stick it into the propulsion tank of a vehicle. Mm-hmm. And, and it's either red or it's, it's not yeah, red. It becomes either red or, yeah. or green or pink, depending on if it's mixed with highway fuel. But Okay, okay. That's... Then once that's done, once a dip's done, and you, you pull it and see it's got, if it's legal or if it's got illegal fuel in it. Mm-hmm. And then the next step we talked about is the evidence. What do you do with that now that you have it? Uh, if you're, you can take, you know, our agency will pump it into a little bottle. Okay. And uh, 
depending on how we're going to process this, because Washington's one of those states where we can go either two ways. We can go criminal, or we can go civil, or you can go both. So you can actually get charged with a gross misdemeanor, or you can be discharged with a civil assessment. Mm -hmm. If it's just basically the civil assessment, and you're not going to need all this this stuff to uh, for a big court case, we you you take a sample, you'd put it in a, a little vial, and we actually have a machine. Uh, it's a spectrometer, it's a petrospec, mm -hmm. and it analyzes it how much diesel red uh, dye contents in there. So it tells you how many parts per million of red dye is in there. So we'll use that, uh, pictures of the fuel, that readout, then we forward it to our Department of Licensing, and they'll do an assessment. Okay. So as folks are listening, it sounds fairly sophisticated with, you know, taking the evidence, using it, analyzing it. Mm -hmm. Have you learned that most jurisdictions have these types of operations. Many don't. You know, what What did we learn in that process in terms mm. of what's going on out there in the landscape? It's, there aren't as many jurisdictions as you would think that they actually are taking the evidence and doing, okay. doing that. Uh, I don't understand. I don't know why because right. it's actually. A lot of them are doing the dips, though. But a lot of them are doing the dips. Doing but some, whatever they do roadside, some will, and that's yeah, the end of it. Some states can do a, just a visual if it's red. Oh. Then that's then they can assessment. Our state, we go that extra effort yeah. to go it's, there. Yeah. Uh, some states will, even if they're just going to do a civil assessment, they actually take a sample, send it to a lab, and have it analyzed. So I suspect part of our recommendation is to have a little more of all those integrated processes? Paul, how do we lay that out? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and one of the things that we were very fortunate with was uh, we actually have a, a member that's part of the Federation of Tax Administrators, FD, FTA, mm -hmm. that um, one of their responsibilities is, is, to, is to basically ask the jurisdictions quarterly, what have you done with diet fuel fraud uh, enforcement efforts? And they actually provide the number of tanks they've dipped, mm -hmm. the, the fine amounts, and, and that's, that's kept uh, by, by the FTA. And uh, so we were very, very fortunate to have them as part of our group um, because they're really across the nation, probably the only organization, I think, Len, that probably really monitors that and manages, you know, that part of it. And uh, to your question, Ian, there, there's, you know, I think uh, IRS many years ago was much more actively involved in this and I think got more jurisdictions involved through, through agreements and, and uh, partnerships. Mm -hmm. And I think the IRS now is starting to come back into that again. They've hired additional staff them as well uh, to, to bolster that that uh, enforcement effort so we we and we talk about that we talk about collaboration how uh, other state other agencies in your jurisdiction you need to do some training with them because you know they might come across violators and have no idea mm -hmm. who would care about this in our jurisdiction so we we spent a lot of time talking about that just training you know going to the academies talking to other law enforcement uh, other just other state agencies that might have an interest in you know, compliance with those with those uh, tax laws. So it, I imagine that's true even within, say, we, we use you as an example, and in the Washington State Patrol, you have the unit you're a part of that's very specific to diet fuse, um, you know, diet fuel, and um, but there are no shortage of officers doing roadside stops of large trucks and buses. You know, are do they get into this business at all? Do they, are there signs that they would say, okay, I need to call in the diet fuel experts, or is it really a and separate operation? 
In, in our jurisdiction, in Washington, all of our commercial vehicle officers are trained in taking samples of diesel. So okay. they're all trained what to look for if they get a sample, what to do with it. Is that something in the best practice in terms of when you talk about the cross-training, Paul? You know, it reminds me um, some years ago when we did 18 Wheels or Busted, yes. the idea that not all state troopers, of course, are mixed SAP officers, and so right. maybe they're not as comfortable doing that stop with the large truck and buses. It sounds similar in concept. Very of saying This may so. not be your specialty, but you need to have this tool in your toolbox. Yeah, because, you know, you don't know what hour of the day or what location uh, law enforcement. It might be a crash scene, for example, or it might be just somebody stopped for speeding where that officer might encounter something because uh, one of the things that we talked about here is, you know, people will will intentionally conceal the tank that's actually containing the fuel that's propulsion, that's moving the vehicle down the road. It might not be the actual fuel tank that you think came from the factory, right? And so we have some examples in our best practice about how people are very creative on how they hide uh, extra fuel in our vehicle that's actually connected to the engine Fascinating. that's yeah that's fueling the engine so you know you might you could dip the the fuel tank that you think you know the OEM the, the manufacturer made and it might be clear not realizing that this vehicle actually isn't that's moving on that fuel yeah so it's, it's very interesting that's right that's right so it was very interesting when we talked about this about how people there's a lot of there's you think about it, there's a lot of money involved uh, for big companies, and uh, if they can get away with it, if they don't think anybody's looking, um, yeah, it can have quite an impact. Have we? Is there been any estimates in terms of the financial impact that's happening with this type of? Yeah, you'll see in our publication it's very difficult to track um, what you don't know, and you know we we know what the what the FTA has said has been found for violations. Uh, there, there is estimations from the uh, from one of the locations that we found is one to one to two percent of the fuel diesel fuel that's purchased is actually purchased through fraudulent means, meaning that it's dyed fuel that should not have been used for that. Um, I, you know, there is an estimation of several hundred of millions of dollars uh, because you know you do the math on how many gallons of diesel sold across the nation, and then take one to two percent of that. So there's an estimation of hundreds of millions of dollars, and this also impacts Canada. We have mm. we have a whole section devoted to Canada and and their efforts to combat this same. Similar, fraud. different, parallel. I think it's very similar, Leonard. I know you've worked with some of the yep. Canadian counterparts. Being a border state, I yes. Mean, yes. That's, yeah. Yeah. Uh, most of the Canadian jurisdictions are very very similar to ours. Okay. In fact, if if we find a Canadian carrier running dyed diesel illegally, we actually report it up to Canada. Besides anything we have down here in BC, the state I deal with sure, mostly, of course. we'll also do their end of it. Okay. And you found as you looked at the programs across Canada, similar enforcement structures is what is seen in the U.S. Yeah, yeah very much so, Len. I know you did some research out there, but very similar to U.S. Yeah, you did, depending on the jurisdiction is whether they have an officer or they have a revenue agent doing it, mm -hmm. but they do have people checking it in their... So you mentioned a revenue agent. That's an interesting thing I hadn't thought mm -hmm. about. You know, in Washington, it sits in the state patrol. I would imagine... Because fuel tax, just as an administrative function, is spread across many different agencies. Mm -hmm. Do you see this dyed fuel enforcement equally? You know, there might be states that it's not the patrol, and it's a completely different agency that's doing it. Yeah, you, you look at our working group, and you'll see that the majority actually are not from a state police agency. Mm -hmm. They're from Department of Revenue. That's okay. exactly right. They're, they, that, cause, because they're the ones responsible for making sure that revenue is properly collected. And so many of those have devoted staff 
uh, may not even be sworn law enforcement, maybe civilians, but by, by law they have the authority to stop vehicles, conduct checks uh, as well. So it, it's rather unique in that. That's not necessarily always a, a sworn law enforcement function. Yeah, that is. Now you also talked about working with your DOL. I want to come back to that, the partnership between whether it's revenue or patrol, partnering with the licensing agency for related actions. Um, maybe start with a case study of how it works in Washington. <clears throat> In Washington, our DOL handles the fuel tax, fuel tax and prorate section. So if we get a dyed diesel sample, mm -hmm. they would actually send out the civil assessment. They, they know which places or which carriers may have an exemption, mm -hmm. which don't. They have all that to do. Okay. So they, and they'll actually hold their, their hearings through their style if, on the civil end. So Department of Licensing, will assess the fuel tax penalties just so because the, they are the revenue agent. So there. the partnership is more about what a, what agency is the tax revenue administrator. So mm -hmm. in some jurisdictions, it may all be in one right. department of revenue that does the enforcement, does the um, you know civil or criminal actions, all housed in right. one DOR, and other places it may be spread out. Right, yeah, because right. the state patrol, if we, we move it forward, we'll do the criminal end of it. Okay. But we can get information from them on... If it's a bigger case, what's all been filed, what hasn't been filed, they they can track that for us and get us that information yeah. to help build our case, and vice versa. Since we're actually Department of Licensing in our state doesn't have people out in the field checking tanks, mm -hmm. we do that. Got it. And we forward that to them. Got it. So, mm -hmm. what are some of the other key recommendations in the best practice? We probably have only scratched the surface, and you know, it was. Wanted. I think this gives people a really good idea of what is this topic? Why does it mm -hmm. exist? Why is it a thing? Mm -hmm. So talk to me about, you know, some of the, the some of the key recommendations that came out of the work. You know, and I think some of the biggest things is just getting um, your legislators, getting your stakeholders supportive of the effort just from the start. You know, mm -hmm. getting, that, getting support for legislation getting a support for funding, to have staff, to have resources available. The other, the other uh, couple of things that we talked a lot about is education. You know, ideally, ideally your, your, uh, your staff that's looking for this are not finding violations because everybody's complying with law. Mm. And you think, well, how do you, how do you help do that? How do you get compliance? And a lot of it was preventative efforts. It's going to, um, you know, construction companies, going to construction association meetings, agricultural meetings, going to livestock auctions, you know, places where uh, groups of people gather that would typically use diesel products. And so we, we uh, a lot of our recommendations focus around educating those people about, you know, you're, 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 when, you, when you steal this money, you're taking money from the roads and the bridges and all those things to help our infrastructure. Mm -hmm. So um, you know, because ideally, you're not finding the violations. And so, you know, getting the, the support from administrators, legislators, you know, getting even, uh, even prosecutors involved. We talk about, you know, the importance of having prosecutors out. If you're doing a check, like a roadside check, you know, letting prosecutors see the process um, so they're familiar with the steps you're taking. Uh, because, you know, if it does come to court, there's going to be questions about the pro process, the procedures that you took, ha handling of the evidence. How do we really know it was from that tank? How do we know that was the tank that was propelling that vehicle, right? So uh, our best practices are also focus on the, you know, the criminal, the civil uh, actions that are taken. So kind of the, we, we have a, a process of steps as far as best practices. If you're going to take this criminally mm -hmm. versus taking it civ civilly, Going from, you know, just from the authority to stop the vehicle to the authority to dip the tank, uh, what you, you know, do with the evidence, 
how do you secure the evidence, and then you know just working with your prosecutors and working with your um, any any adjudication that needs to take place uh, from that standpoint. And we we provide in this document samples of uh, Len had mentioned the the handouts that are given to. A, a person driving a vehicle to mm -hmm. say here's what their rights are it's kind of like our, our implied consent laws so we provide samples of that provide samples of legislation samples of those documents <clears throat> so that way you know if jurisdiction is thinking about building a program maybe bolstering a program they could potentially use that information yeah. and we also combined at the end a, a, a FAQ so somebody who's looking for you know give me give me ten things why I should do this program um, the, the working group member said, you know, why don't we just compile this uh, one, one best practice would be follow this FAQ because it has some really simple um, highlights from the document. And that, that's included with the appendix just to make it a real simple read Neat. as well. Neat. <clears throat> and something I'd add that trying to uh, give a reason for the good program is, especially for states that have commercial vehicle divisions and all this stuff, mm -hmm. uh, part of a, a commercial vehicle division, they're out there to protect the state's infrastructures. They yeah. weigh trucks, so prevent the damage on the roadway. That's part of the this. So why aren't we enforcing the fuel revenue that's coming in to maintain it? Mm -hmm. yeah, it's mm -hmm. just as important. If you don't have the money coming in to enforce this, it doesn't do any good. Right, right. And uh, what a lot of states, if you have your own state tax on top of fuel tax, if a person's illegally using dye diesel, your jurisdiction's losing twice. Mm -hmm. You're losing on the the state taxes that are coming in, but now you're also losing out on the federal portion that would be reported because yeah. that that's not being reported to the Federal Highway Administration because it's they're doing it illegally. Yeah. So your state's not getting credit for that many miles, that many gallons purchased in there. So it hurts your jurisdiction twice. Yeah. Yeah. And and we were talking about the amounts of money and the the tax difference with. It's hard to look at people when everyone's looking to t possibly talk about fuel tax increases. You know, that's that's one thing always people mention. Oh, let's have a tax increase. Well, you got to be able to look at people and at least show them that we're we're actually doing everything we can to avoid having to do that. So let's go after the people that aren't paying it before we penalize the people that are. Right. And the, the other thing, uh, Ian, that we, we talk about is how about technology? How, do, how can technology mm. be used in this? So uh, we, we provide a couple examples. One is, uh, unfortunately, people will try to wash the dye out of the fuel. So that way, uh, Len and his team, when they dip the tank, uh, they don't see the red dye, right? Mm -hmm. So there's actually companies that put um, chemicals into the fuel that you can pick up, you can still pick up the fact that the dye was in the fuel. So we, we talk about that, that technology. And then there's also um, a, a technology available now that could actually uh, detect the dyed fuel without having to physically touch the dyed fuel. And so uh, well, that's the thing. touch me without having to do the dip. Without having to do the dip, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, you could be um, a distance away, for example, and be able to tell wow. violators. So, I mean, think of the potential for sure. that, right? In, in motion or just distance? No, just distance, okay. yeah. So, because I that mean, would be the next step, right? Yeah, absolutely. Kind of like the way in motion development. Yeah, so exactly. You know. That's exactly right. So, there's, so that we, we wanted to make sure that, that we, you know, if, if jurisdictions are thinking we just don't have the people, the staff. To go out and pull there, over and get Yeah, exactly. There, there's, there's new technologies out there to help you do this without maybe having to go through quite the level of effort. Fascinating. Well, gentlemen, thank you. Um, is there anything else that if someone is, you know, you said it at the outset, 
trying to build a program, trying to make sure their program is as effective as it can be. Have we not touched on any uh, anything else you really want to highlight? Uh, the funding. Uh, there are grants for the program, for, for the to program. get a program going. Yeah. There are grants out there. Ah. Uh, I believe it's through the, one of them through the Federal Highway Administration. Mm -hmm. You know, that'll help cover jurisdictions wanting to start a program. Interesting. It'll help cover training. It'll help cover supplies. Uh, that's how we got a lot of our stuff, is through federal grants. Did you have to work through the state DOT to get the federal highway funding, or were you able to get it directly as the patrol? No, we worked through the DOT and yeah. uh, Department of Licensing. Yeah. To get so the they, they are actually the grant highways. people that run it. But it's out there for but these, exactly these purposes. Exactly. There are, there are grants out there made for this, and uh, yeah, we've been pretty huge. fortunate. and. And we describe in the best practice how to how to utilize potentially utilize that grant money or where they can go to to try to find it. So. Great, excellent. Right. Well, gentlemen, I appreciate you spending some time with me today. It is a very different, fascinating topic than I think what most people yeah. think about. Um, it is now, I believe, up on the Anva website, yes, so Anva.org, and they can get the best practice. And I assume it has your contact info for when folks have questions about technologies and. Dies and dips. Absolutely. Uh, right. All right. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for being here. Thank you for listening this week. Thanks to our producers, Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin. Till next week, everyone, stay well. Thank you for joining us for AmbaCast, hosted by Ian Grossman, produced by Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin, music by Gibson Arthur. This episode is brought to you by Get Mobile ID by Get Group North America. Visit us at amvacast.podbean.com and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify.